Hear the word of God from the end of Luke's gospel. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They, give, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the gift for the forgiveness of the sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you that my, what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed, clothed with the power from on high. When he, led them, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted, them, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he turned them and was taken up to heaven. Then, then they worshipped him and returned to the Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Am I on? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, youth, for uh, blessing us this morning. And we'll get to even be blessed a little more later by them. Uh, Thanks, Bethany, for playing the violin. Jeez, this is a big deal. Uh, so thank you for, for doing that. And Yeah, praise God. It's a joy and a delight to be with you here this morning. This last Sunday, I actually was worshiping with a congregation with some of us from Waypoint in London. And uh, our senior pastor, our lead pastor, Lawrence, and a team of Waypoint people are in Malaysia. They actually worship 12 hours. They're 12 hours off, so they, they, they worship 12 hours ago, and we'll actually get to see a video clip and pray for them in a few minutes, um, or after this service, in a few minutes. Like, so is that is that foreshadowing? I need to I need to be short. No. Uh, I don't have a handout today. I do have one prop, and I'll explain this later. I so sometimes when I preach, I always have a prop or a handout. So for Waypoint Bingo, at least you, you're getting one of the two. So, um, yeah. So we're in a sermon series going through Luke's Gospel. We're at the end. And I want to start this morning's sermon by asking a question. Have you ever watched a documentary that completely changed your perspective on something? Think about it. And it could be by documentary, it could be also a movie about a real life situation. Sometimes we know, like Remember the Titans or Rudy, two of my favorites, that Hoosiers, that the real story and the Disney version are a little, little off, but... Hollywood likes to say that, but I'm talking about a documentary, like a, a regular old documentary made by a journalist to, to help us think. And I'm not talking about a YouTube rant video clip or TikTok or an Instagram reel. Uh, I'm talking about a thoughtful, well-researched documentary. I can vividly remember watching documentaries about the harsh suffering of Christians and political prisoners in North Korea. I, I literally can just feel the pain as I watched this video. I, I remember watching one about human trafficking, a 
couple years ago and, and just being filled with anger at the evil and weeping for those who are suffering. I've also watched many documentaries about lighter topics like college football or music. There's actually a, a documentary coming out about the Florida Gators and their prime and our pastor, lead pastor is a Florida Gators football fan. I do remind him that those two years that those years of the Florida football, they played Auburn twice and Auburn beat them both times. So just in case Pastor Lawrence is listening back in Malaysia, the Tebow years, they never beat Auburn. Um, but documentaries, I'm, I'm joking, but documentaries can also be light. They can be fun. Um, just the other night at dinner, our daughter, our college daughter, who's home for the summer, was telling a friend who was visiting about how her parents watched a few documentaries over the COVID period about music that made us go back and visit, revisit old songs and add them to playlists, almost at an annoying level. <laughs> um, for the curious types, the documentaries were about the history of American country music and a few other specific singers. So Eric and I are both big history buffs and we love music, so watching these documentaries really just stirred us on. Um, these music documentaries showed the good and the bad of the music that is part of our lives and how music has shaped our culture and our lives and how our lives, and, and then how culture shaped the music that the people were writing that shaped our lives. So these documentaries are fascinating insight into us as people. Um, you never think that songs that were written were influenced by the culture, but then they also influenced the culture. And these documentaries show that and show how a song can change history or, you know, different movements that happen as we, us as people. While these documentaries on musicians were not meant to expose evil, they were just meant to show the reality, like, but the ones that were exposing evil were like the ones that I saw, you know, on human trafficking or some of the one I saw and kind of what goes on in these North Carolina, North, North Korea prisons. And, you know, you, you watch these documentaries and you're, you, just, you just have a lot of emotions. There's power in these documentaries to show the viewer an accurate picture of the topic presented. Documentaries can lead us to compassion when we see real hurts and circumstances around a person or situation, or they can lead us to dismay and anger when we see malice and evil behind many of our heroes or situations. I remember the sadness and anger I felt after hearing the manipulative sexual exploits of a revered American president. A good documentary does not cover up or try to correct the bad or embellish the good. It aims to show you the reality of the situation. So why am I starting off Youth Sunday so serious about documentaries, you know? Because I want us to think about Luke's gospel. And we've been in Luke's gospel since January. And today we're at the end. We took a break and we went to the Easter parts and then we went back and finished up. We've covered almost all the major sections of Luke's gospel and we've also uh, covered the sections particularly that are in Luke's gospel that weren't in Matthew or John or, or Mark. And Luke is writing a historical record, but he's also presenting it in a style that would be like a documentary. So that's why I spent so much time kind of framing this idea of documentary. Luke is giving us all historical facts, but they are presented in an intentional and particular order 
to help the hearer see Jesus in his good news in light of the brokenness and darkness in the world. As Pastor Peter, who preached last week, said, one of the central points, if not the central point of Luke's gospel, is when Jesus proclaims after Zacchaeus repents in chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I want to ask again, if this is one of the key themes of Luke, I want you to to ask each person here, do you believe that you're lost? Do you believe that you are blind? Do you believe that you needed to be saved? Do you believe that our humanity is lost? That we have lost our way? We are left to our own devices, are in a big mess. An important thing to remember in reading Luke's gospel, it's not just a documentary about a religious teacher from ancient Palestine, Jesus, and the men and women who followed him and those who rejected him. If you read it at a surface level, that's what it seems like it is. It's a story about Jesus, the people who chose to believe in him, and the people who chose to not believe in him and kind of reject him, and that led to his execution. That's, that's what it would be if it was just a pure documentary. But it's a story about a broken world and a broken people, a prideful people, a lost and hurting people that must humble themselves to recognize that they are lost. And it's also a story about a loving God who did not destroy his broken and evil creation, but became one of us and loved us to save us. So we're watching the doc, we're reading Luke, but it's about us. We're like characters in it. And it's about a loving God. So it's, it's interesting. We're the, we're kind of the, we're both sides. We're the evil person that's doing the damage, but then we're also the person that needs the compassion. I'm gonna show a photo from our trip to London. A team of us went about a week ago. And actually Ross, who was our host in London, flew back. This is his American vacation time. So it's kind of weird we saw him there and he's, he's sitting in the back. So welcome Ross, you can say hi to him at the end. So this is called the Tower of London. It's an ancient fortress castle. Actually, my last name in Italian means small fortress, last castle, small fortress, large castle. So this actually is a Castiglione, which is how you say my name in Italian. This picture we're looking at, that's what the word means in ancient Italian. But in the middle is this thing called the Tower of London. It was built by William the Conqueror and his son in 1066 when the French Normans kind of took over England. And this wasn't to protect them from outside invaders. This was to protect them from the other British people, from other people inside the country to want to usurp them. And they built this compound over about a 500-year period. It's still used today for military purposes to defend the crown jewels. It's also a tourist attraction. We took a visit of it. But as we went on the tour, an interesting happened is as they're giving the tour, it's basically a tour of all the executions and the reign of terror that each leader had to put in power to stay in power. It's the most depressing thing you could ever go on. It's literally like, and then this guy became king, but then he had to murder the bishop. I mean, he had to execute this guy and this guy, and then he didn't trust his wife because she went with the church, and then they had to, it's, it's depressing. That's human history. A series of people trying to maintain power and using violence and sex and murder and, and, and power and money to, to keep this power. There's some good intertwined in the stories, 
You hear about the goodness, and I would, we would call that as Christians' common grace, and you even see the church expands through this, even all, through all this mess. The church is part of the mess sometimes. The church is standing up against the mess and other times. But just this, this, this building just represents the brokenness of humanity. We as humanity, as a people, are simultaneously the enemy, like I said, the person in the wrong in the documentary, and the broken and lost people that need compassion and need to be saved. But the good news, the gospel, is that the judge of humanity is also the one who stands in our place so that we will not be condemned for our wrongdoing. That's really good news. So when you go to court, the judge is also the person, Jesus, who stands in your place. So we win if we accept Jesus. This morning, we're looking at how Luke's gospel ends. We've been using this word gospel a lot, so I just want to make sure that before we end our section on Luke, that you guys see kind of how, what we mean when we say gospel. The word, um, think about the, take that slide down for a sec. Think about the word White House. Like when we say the word White House, it can mean multiple things. It can mean literally a White House in my neighborhood. It can mean... This building in Washington, D.C., that if you email your congressman six months in advance, you can go tour, right? It's a U.S. government. It's a literal place. It can also, it's a literal home, like the president and, you know, his family will live there. Their dogs are there. It's a, it's a literal home. All the same word, White House. But it also represents the entire executive branch. A newspaper article could say, the White House has not made a statement yet. And what they mean is the president and the whole executive branch have not made a statement. So you see how that one word has a lot of layers to the meaning. I would, I would say the word gospel, the way it's presented to us throughout this, from Genesis to Revelation, is like that too. So let's look at when we say the word gospel. It's, it's literally the Greek word that just means good news. We'll put that slide up. And it was the word that they said that they, when, when a the king or the people wanted to proclaim something big, like the, the army had won a victory. They would say, they'd, the evangelion, the, that's, that's the Greek word, the good news, this gospel. So the gospel is four historical accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Church history wants us to know that. When you think of the gospel, you want to think of it as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel is the whole of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the whole of God's plan for salvation for the world. And the word world means the cosmos. It's the Greek word cosmos, means everything, all the creation from Genesis to Revelation. And then the gospel is also, this good news is the promise and the promises of Jesus for me and you. So you see how this word is, it's comprehensive. It's good, it's the whole thing. It's the good news from start to finish for me and you and for the world. And it's, Luke's gospel is the gospel too. It's a story, a documentary to get us to know Jesus. In the last section of Luke's gospel, which we read today, it's looking at the 40 days during this time period of 40 days where Jesus was on the earth after his resurrection on Easter Sunday. So I want to just share three teaching points from this section. And just... Three teaching points from this section, and also like these three teaching points are kind of a summary of Luke's gospel in general. The first one is the misunderstanding of the promise. So, so throughout the whole gospel of Luke, this whole account, there's a lot of misunderstanding by the religious people, by his own disciples, 
And it seems like the only people who get it are these marginalized, broken people way on the fringe. But there's a lot of misunderstanding, and there's even misunderstanding at the end in, the, in this section. The next one is the fresh understanding of the promise, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and his reign as king. And the third one is how we are part of the promise, because we have the word, the spirit, and the church. So that's where we're headed. So let's jump in. You guys ready? I should do this like a youth talk, because it's youth Sunday, so I should have props and be running around. I'm just kidding. Um, the misunderstanding of the promise. So let's quickly rehab, recap what's happening in the story. So the women come to the tomb. They're the first witnesses. This is Easter. They meet the angel. They tell the disciples. Peter kind of doesn't believe them. He goes running to the tomb. Uh, Jesus meets two men on the road to Emmaus. Actually, Pastor Lawrence preached on this on Easter Sunday. And then we get to the point in the account where we, we just heard Roman read a few minutes ago. And it starts by saying this, while they were still talking about this, they're talking about this road to Emmaus encounter, Jesus himself stood among them. So this is the risen Jesus, the Jesus who died on the cross on Friday and rose again on Sunday. He says, and he said to them, peace be with you. I love that this is the first thing Jesus says to them. Remember that. Peace be with you. New Testament scholar Diane Chen expounds on this first statement of Jesus by saying, in the midst of the excitement, Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. In Luke, bringing peace is more than the customary Jewish greeting. It conveys the peace of salvation. Any turmoil from the crucifixion is sorry, is redeemed by the saving peace that comes from believing that Jesus is truly Israel's suffering Messiah, vindicated by God and raised from the dead. Peace be with you. That's what Jesus would say. It's one of the things he would say if he's with you. And that just means that it's okay. Everybody take a deep breath. Has it been a good week, a hard week? I don't know. Has it been a hard season of life, a good season? Do you need to know and be reminded that the peace of Christ is with you? The passage continues on. It says, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. I mean, I love the phrase, peace be with you. Maybe he said it because he knew they'd be freaked out. Like, normally when an angel's appears to someone, the angel says, do not be afraid. So Jesus is separating himself from those angel accounts in the Old Testament or like when the angel came to Mary, because he's not an angel. He's a risen human being. The same person who died on Friday is with them at this time. They were frightened. They thought they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as I have, you see. Now, there's a tremendous amount of theology here. One thing is our risen bodies, the risen body of Christ has the wounds, which in God's sovereignty and his plan, that's what he chose. When we worship the lamb in heaven in Revelation, we worship the lamb, Jesus, who was worthy because he was slain. So God chose to keep the wounds in his risen body. Another thing is 
that Jesus' physical body at this point is fully God and fully man. I remember in seminary, uh, I read something called the Chalcedon Creed. And I remember reading it, and it's a historic creed of the church. It's one of the four ecumenical creeds that we all agree on. It's, it's over 1,500 years old. And I remember reading it and raising my hand and asking my professor, so right now in heaven, as Jesus is reigning, he's fully God and fully man? And he's like, yeah. Right now, Jesus is fully God, fully human. That's what this text is showing us. He still relates to us, and he's reigning, and one day he'll come back, fully God, fully in all his glory, to save us. I won't get, there's also a lot of speculation that people can make from this passage about what our glorified bodies are. Don't get into the speculation. Stick with the good news that Jesus is reigning right now, fully God, fully man, and he is the lamb of revelation. So his... So this is how Jesus comes to them. Interesting thing, and I love this, it's the fish passage. He says, um, next passage. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and they still did not believe because of joy and amazement. Then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? I love this. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it. Luke, in his account, wants people to remember that the risen Jesus was fully human. He ate food. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. He was a human being that could eat like we eat. Now, in another account, in all honesty, it seems like he kind of could pass through walls. I don't really, it's in a different gospel. So there's something about these glorified bodies that might be a little different, but they are our bodies, they are our flesh. They'll be redeemed, they'll be renewed one day when God makes all things new. But Jesus and Luke wants to show that he ate. He was fully alive. He was dead and he was fully alive. And then it goes on and he says, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was with, so with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And by saying this, Jesus is saying the entire Old Testament scriptures are about him, or they point to him. Not every word, you, know, you don't have to go and, there's some weird stuff, you know, you don't have to find every sentence is about Jesus. Every section is about Jesus. And he's trying to show them that they misunderstood the promise of God, and that the Messiah and what he would be like, that the Messiah came to fulfill a covenant, but that that was okay. And that's why he's giving them this gospel like that's what he's doing at this point so let's that leads into point two the fresh understanding of the promise his life his death his resurrection and his reign all right let's look at the definition of fresh i took this from the dictionary just googled it so the first one is just an adjective of food recently made or obtained not canned frozen or otherwise preserved and then the second one's more what we're talking about not previously known or used new or different so I'm calling this a fresh understanding of the promise. So they had the promise. It was already there in the Old Testament all along, but they didn't get it. And the passage gives us some hints and, and tells us what Jesus is doing here. Now, there's another definition of fresh that came out in the 80s. So this is from my youth pastor side. So that, not this definition of fresh, you know. Or 
we can take that down, but do y'all remember, I grew up, my fresh was like a vert word that your parents would say if you were kind of borderline really bad, but you were acting pretty bad, you were acting fresh. Not that anybody relate to that one, maybe your parents said you were fresh or don't act fresh or your teacher. That, that's not this definition either. We're, we're sticking with the definition of not previously known or used, new or different. The Bible is given to humanity in real human history. God's covenants remain the same, but the understanding of these covenants happens and they're happening in history. And there are many of the Jewish people who got some of the things right and they got some things wrong. Deuteronomy and the prophets promise a Messiah and they promise a new covenant, but they don't give us a lot of the details. And Jesus begins to open their eyes to see that he came to fulfill the covenant and he came to inaugurate this new kingdom that the covenants promised. The next verse in verse 45 says this, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. Then he's quoting the Old Testament. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He's, he's, he's quoting a group of Old Testament passages and repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And church, you are witnesses to these things and we are the fruit of this. I say this a lot when I preach, but somebody at this meeting told someone, this meeting happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but someone at that meeting told someone who told someone who told someone who told someone who started a church who did, and they told you. And we're here today praising God on the other side of the world. When I went to London, this, this coffee represents a ministry there, but we got to see brothers and sisters praising there. When I went to Gambia last November, we got to see brothers and sisters praising there. Right now, Waypoint team is in Malaysia praising God with brothers and sisters there. God's promised spirit went out. So they, they generally understood the promise but they misunderstood, I mean, they generally misunderstood it. They understood a little bit. God gives them this fresh understanding. He opens their mind through Jesus. And then he gives us his gospels. He gives us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John so we can begin to fully see what Jesus is talking about here. And we get to be his church together. This is good news, y'all. Good news. Look at the person next to you. And just, this, this is who God gave you. You know, we're a ragtag bunch. The church is not an affinity group. We, you might not hang out with these people if you weren't in church. You probably would do, find other people who have more affinity towards you in all these different ways. But God put us all together to be his body because he loves us and he set it up this way because this is the new humanity that Jesus came to bring. As he opens their eyes, this is what they see. He goes on. In the next passage, he says, For I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then it, it goes on to say, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually in the temple, praising God. So think about it. They were scared before. And then after, the, this, these aren't simultaneous. These are over a 40-day period. So they probably met him on like Monday, the Monday after Easter or the Tuesday. And then he ascends 40 days later. 
the last point. How are we part of this promise? You're like, great, Danny, you talked about the Old Testament, you talked about an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but how, how can I participate in this promise? As maybe in light of my initial introduction to the sermon, how do I make sense of the documentary that I just watched? When I find out that, I'm, I, that it's exposing some things inside me and some things I gotta deal with. We've read Luke's gospel, it stirred up some things in our hearts, it's caused us to say, I'm already serving God, but I, how can I serve him better? How can I love him? How can I trust him? What, what am I supposed to do? And is serving him better even the right words to use to, to move forward as, as, a, as a follower of Jesus? So we watched the documentary. We read Luke's gospel. It has to change us. It's the words of Jesus. But how? So there's a million ways I could tell you how, because the the Gospel of Luke, each sermon we preached, and we could have preached 50 more on Luke. Gives tips, I mean, not tips, but we, we give, you know, action points. How can you apply what we just learned to your life? But I want you to think about these three aspects of Jesus that he leaves us with in this last section of Luke, and really throughout the whole Gospel of Luke as he's moving toward setting up the church. He leaves us with the word, he leaves us with the spirit, and he leaves us with his church. So the, um, the word. Jesus is the word, John 1. The Bible is God's word for his people. Again, you can take that down for a second. We'll, we'll jump on that. So when you say the word of God, it's, it's like, remember I mentioned White House is my example in gospel. It's a, it's a word in the Bible that has layers of meanings and lots of meanings because it's a word about God. But John 1 says that Jesus is the word. It also says that Jesus spoke the world into existence by his word. And a cool thing about John 1 is all the ancient philosophies of the world that came out around between about a thousand years before Christ and Christ are all trying to find what's the source. Whether it's the logos of Greek or the, the Tao or Tao of Chinese. I mean, all these ancient cultures were trying to find what was the spoken source that spoke the world into existence. And John comes in with John 1 and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And that basically, that the Word spoke the world into existence. So he's the answer to all these religious and philosophical questions that the people had been asking. So that's the Word, but the Word is also the Bible. Now we're in the digital age, so most of us, you hold up your phone, it's also your Bible and your TikTok machine and all these other, other things. But anybody have a real hard cover? Miss Joan, hold your Bible up for us. There you go. So that's the word, too. There you go. Thank you, Ruby. That's the word. The Gospels are the word. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they show us Jesus. The New Testament letters are the word. The Old Testament is the word. Together, it's the word. Now, I'm going to put a slide up. This is waypoints um, on the word of God. This is one of our values. We desire to teach and uphold the authority of God's word because we believe scripture is God's written revelation to humanity. So God gave us his word. He gave it us as Jesus and he gave it in a book. But we don't just have the word. Jesus left us with the word, but he also left us with his spirit. Let's put up Luke 24, 49 from the passage we read earlier. I'm going to send you. He doesn't say I'm going to give you a Bible. Notice that. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, 
but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He says he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. And if you read John chapters 15, chapters 14 to 17, you get a better, bigger glimpse as Jesus is the longest passage in the Bible where he's establishing the church for us. And he says that the Holy Spirit will give us power, comfort, guidance, direction for the church and for all its people. The Holy Spirit will literally write the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and the rest of the Old New Testament was written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we have the church. We don't do the Christian life alone, even though we have the Word and the Spirit. God puts us together. Jesus established His church. And even though the church is not perfect, as my trip to England showed as we toured around, we realized that God gave us the church, and the church will prevail when people humble themselves and continually turn back to Jesus. Sorry, not yet for the photo. We need to rest in his love and his forgiveness, and we need to worship together. We need each other. This last passage of Luke, Luke 24, just kind of shows that they went and worshiped. They met the risen Jesus, and their response, and Jesus ascends, and they go to the temple and worship. We are called to be a worshiping people to do it together. So I'm going to end with this. I asked earlier, do you believe you were lost? Do you believe you were blind? And then I was thinking about the song Amazing Grace. We're going to sing another song today with the, the main lyric in it. This past week when we went to London, um, show the photo now, this is the team. Uh, it's amazing because Liz and Trace were on our anniversary trip and they got to meet us there. Um, but the next slide shows something pretty cool. This is actually the church where Amazing Grace was written, John Newton. Uh, became a pastor there after he originally was a slave trader, renounced the slave trade, worked with William Wilberforce to eliminate the slave trade in England. And he knew he was a wretched person because he had done really bad stuff. But it's cool we got to go there and just sit in his church. It's a little sad because the church isn't filled on Sunday mornings. It's more of a historical place. I, I pray, pray for a revival, pray that that church and all the church buildings around Europe will be filled each Sunday with people coming, worshiping, hearing the good news, and, and fellowshipping as brothers and sisters. But as I reflect on the song Amazing Grace and just think about it, I, I just want to ask you, do you trust God with the good news? Do you trust God that he saved you, that he loves you? He came to save sinners like us. That's the point of Luke's gospel. Today's Youth Sunday. So Isaac and Bella particularly, but all the youth and all of you in here, I just, I just want to challenge you. Do you trust God with your life? Do you believe that we can't fix this world? The world is broken. We're going to come up, try to come up with answers. The whole, all the tours and history we went on in, in this England, this week in England was just a series of humans trying to solve problems, sometimes with God, lots of times without God. And I want to ask, do we, do we truly believe that Jesus is the good news? 
that he's worthy of our worship. And he is. I want to just say, believe in Jesus, obey his word, live in him, and do this only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Rest in his grace, rest in his forgiveness, and do this with the help of brothers and sisters, because this is the way Jesus set it up for us. He loves us. He called us. I'm thankful for Luke's gospel, and I'm thankful that I got to share this message with you as God just worked in my heart as I traveled around London and just been praying a lot this week. So let's be people who live and walk in the good news of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, today could be the day that you can turn your life to him. And if you, you're struggling, if you're hurting, we're going to have people around the room to pray with the elder lanyards. If you want to approach one of them or just talk to the person next to you, say, would you pray for me? I need to walk in this. I need to know Jesus and I need to understand that he's given me his word. He's given me his church and he's given me his spirit. And, and this, he's given me a promise that he will never leave me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for our time to study Luke. I know it was a lot. We, it was like watching a documentary and seeing ourselves exposing things, seeing the things we're good at and seeing the things that we're falling short on, God. But most of all, it was us seeing you and your, your grace and seeing Jesus, fully God, fully human, who came and died and rose again and loves us and is with us and gave us his spirit. So God, I pray for each person here that they would walk in this and, and just trust you with each day. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.